Okay, be turning in your Bibles to the book of Acts. I understand in my absence last Sunday that Sam did a great job. Uh, thank you for that. And today, we're going to start in the book of Acts. And uh, we're, we're going to nail this down to uh, just six sermons. So, as you can imagine, since there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, uh, we're, we're going to be combining a lot of things, but hopefully will be an exciting study. Now, uh, all of my, uh, my junior high and high school students down here, just want to remind you uh, that I'm going to be asking a couple questions of you later in the uh, service, so uh, you might want to be paying attention uh, to make sure you uh, understand what I'm going to ask you. Uh, so, pay attention, guys, and uh, we'll see what happens. See how well that you do. Uh, you know, new series, Move! That's what Raphael decided to call this. Move. So, you know, uh, move is a good thing, generally. You know, we want to do uh, uh, great things. Uh, I find history exciting. You may not. But uh, what I have found exciting about history is that history is exciting if the person who's teaching it likes history. Uh, if, if the person teaching history doesn't really like history, then we're all in trouble. Uh, but to me, history is exciting because it's about people and things that happen. In this case, uh, God's people and what happened uh, there. The uh, book of Acts is written by Luke. And so if you read the book of Luke and then you read the book of Acts, uh, you're really sort of getting part one and then part two, if, if you know what I'm saying. The book of Luke would be probably appropriately said that it's about Jesus' life and and what happened during His life. And then the book of Acts is about what happened in the beginning of the early church. But let's start in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. It says that my former book, Theophilus. Now you say, well, why does it say that? We'll look back to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you were taught. So, Luke starts the book of Luke uh, about Jesus' life, written to Theophilus. And then he says in Acts 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all. And so we have the same author going back and forth there. It says, until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my fathers promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked Him, Lord, are you you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father said, By His own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, or in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After He had said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, 
and a cloud hid him from their sight. So you get the book of Acts going, actually going back to the end of the book of Luke. And Jesus had died on the cross. He had raised from the dead. He was spending time with the apostles. And that's where you sort of pick up the book of Acts. And then you go on uh, from there. Okay. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Okay, you guys are doing great. I may come back to that. By the way, the title that Raphael selected for this first sermon is God Moves to, Cha- God Moves to Change Lives. God Moves to Change Lives. The idea of a changed life is actually one of the predominant themes of Jesus' ministry and the Apostles' ministry or what we will come to know as the church or the book of Acts. It's a huge idea that he had. Look back to the time that he called the original disciples. Look back to Luke 5. The idea of a changed life. Why would someone want to change their life? They, generally speaking, it's because they want something better, right? They sort of feel like, in one way or another, that their life isn't what it needs to be, what it could be, what it might be, uh, what it, it could have been. Most people in life have made some mistakes and they realize, I made some mistakes that really uh, were big in my life. Can you relate with that? Can you think back in your life? And I bet, I bet most everybody in this room could think back on their life and they can identify. You can, you can have the moment. In some cases, it's so crystal clear in your mind. It may have happened 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. But you remember, bang! Wow! That was huge. And from that moment, things pivot and they went different in my life. And most of the time, people don't think of those as positive things, although they might. Most of the time, it's something that happened negative in their life. It's something they did. or It happened to them. And they're like, man, I wish that could be different. And Jesus actually teaches on this idea a lot. In Luke 5, verse 1, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around Him, Listening to the Word of God, he saw on the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. (laughs) It was a bad night. But because you say so. That's an interesting comment, isn't it? But because you say so. You have a lot of respect for Jesus already at this point. I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. Basically, he says to him, Your life is going to change. Instead of just catching fish, you're going to have an influence, you're going to catch fish. 
people. You're going to catch men. Your life can change. The mess that you're in, you can actually get out of. It's what he's saying. The road that you're on. You know, a lot of people, frankly, they look at their life and they look at their life and they actually get a little depressed because they feel like, you know, I'm not sure I'm going anywhere. And so the idea of a new life or a a beginning all over again is a common thing and a good idea for them. Look over to John 3. This is another great story of Jesus interacting with a guy. In this case, not one of His disciples. In John 3, verse 1, it says, Now was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with them. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Isn't that interesting? Nicodemus comes to him and basically doesn't ask him that kind of a question. But Jesus' answer to him, it says, listen, let's cut, to, let's cut to the chase. Let's get down to the bottom line. No one is going to get to where they need to be unless they're born again. Unless they begin to live a new life. This idea of, of change and God moving in your life to change you is a very powerful theme. I would say for most people who become Christians, it is one thing that, that they have in common with everybody else around them. What, how they lived, what they did, what actually they were convicted about. Maybe very different. You know, one person comes to church and they're convicted that they've lived a very immoral life. Someone else comes to church and they, they're convicted that they've led a very deceitful life. Some people come to church and the first thing they, they feel is that, wow, I cannot believe all the people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds are here because I've never known anybody other than the, the people that looked and acted like me. People are convicted about different things. But the commonality is, I can get beyond that. I, I'm not trapped. I'm not chained. I, I can get out of this. There's a way out. And that's a big, big, big theme in Jesus' ministry. The apostles in their writings, very similar. Look over 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul is writing here, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's a huge, huge, big theme. This idea of a changed life, a renewed life, a second chance in your life, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a twelfth, a hundredth time to change. And be different in your life. A life of continual renewal. You know, for a lot of people, they feel like, man, life is cruel. I make one mistake and bam! I mess up one time and bam! But Jesus' message is you can change, you can be changed. 
The old can be gone. The new can be... Yeah, I mean, we can actually have a future in our life. Not just be ruined by the mistakes or the things that we did in the past. Okay, now, look back to the book of Acts. You say, I thought we were studying the book of Acts. Well, we had to sort of set the theme there of this idea of God moves and changes lives. Acts 1. Now, what we're going to actually look at here is two different times of conversion. And interestingly enough, the book of Acts actually could be called uh, uh, the uh, history book of conversions. Because there's conversion after conversion after conversion. We're going to look at Acts 2 and Acts 8 in our study today. There's many, many other conversion stories in the book of Acts that we're not going to look at. It's not that they're not important and they aren't great stories. It's that we just you know, have a certain amount of time and I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't appreciate me preaching for three hours. So, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to hit Acts 2 and Acts 8 and, and, and go on uh, from there if you know what I'm saying. Okay, back to uh, my teenagers down here. What's the first thing that happens in the book of Acts? Huh? Yes. But that's not what I'm talking about. Yes. Jesus is taken up to heaven. Thank you very much. I appreciate the boys doing a good job, girls, don't you? Real. Real sharp bunch of boys in this group. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at God moving through a bunch of people. And the second story is be God is going to move through a singular individual. But in the first story here, we're going to look at God moving through a bunch of people. Okay, so Jesus is taken up into heaven. I'm going to skip uh, some important things that happen here uh, in, in the end of chapter 1 and go right to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, now this is a Jewish feast, this is a big celebration. There's Jewish people and converts to Judaism from all around what we know as the Mediterranean world, the world they knew, that have come back into Jerusalem. So they're flooded into Jerusalem for this huge feast that's going to be going on. They were all together in one place. That means the apostles and the small group of other people, about 100 people that were with them. Suddenly a sound of a blowing, a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Okay, so this first thing happens. The Holy Spirit comes down. It gives the apostles the ability to speak in all kinds of 
of different languages. Now, isn't it interesting today that we're the English-speaking group and the Spanish-speaking group is on over there? Why for most of us, the vast majority of us, some of this wouldn't be true, but for the vast majority of us, why are we here? Because if we were over there, we might enjoy the atmosphere. We might enjoy several elements of what's going on, but the bottom line is what? We wouldn't have any idea what they're talking about. You know, Sam last week spoke in English. Right? And for the vast majority of us, it's a good idea that he didn't speak in Cantonese. Is that his, that would be his normal language, right? Or Mandarin? Mandarin? Would it really make any difference for most of us? And so you've got all these Jews and converts to Judaism from all these different places that they're listed there and probably more. And they're all there. And all of a sudden the apostles are speaking these languages that they don't know. God has given them the ability to do it. And the people look at this and they're like, what is going on? This is crazy. And, and their first conclusion was, they're drunk. They've been drinking and, uh, <laughs> and they're losing it. Okay, let's pick it up. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. You know, you've heard the old song, it's, five o'clock. it's got to be five o'clock somewhere. Listen, it's nine in the morning. There's no chance that these guys are drunk. Peter begins to preach by quoting a lot of different scriptures from the Old Testament, which would have meant a lot to these people because they're Jews, right? Then come on over and pick it up in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to me. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men... That wicked men thing is in a reference to the Romans because they were the political and military uh, uh, guardians of that part of the world at that time. Put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter begins to preach to the people. He immediately starts talking about Jesus died on the cross. And, and, and you were involved in this. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He goes back and he quotes some other scriptures. He comes around then and we're going to skip over to verse 36. Verse 36 is where he's bringing it to a head. He, he's, he's bringing it sauce to a conclusion. He says, therefore. That's what therefore means. Because I've said all of this, now I'm going to say that. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the football team, the Rams, left St. Louis... And therefore, they are in... Alright, because I said this, some you guys didn't know that either, did you? Uh, now they are in Los Angeles. He says, okay, therefore let all Israel be assured that this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does it mean to be cut to the heart? Convicted is another word. Give me another word. What's it mean to be cut to the heart? Sobered. Sobered. Moved. Humbled. A feeling of guilt 
our, our responsibility. In other words, it, it hit them. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, uh, something just it just hits you? I mean, bam! It, 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 all of a sudden, it was just clear, and it wasn't clear before that time. That, that's what's going on here. They are cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They realize there's something needs to be done here about what has happened and what he's talking about. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says you need to repent and be baptized. What does repent mean? It means to change. A decision to change is what repent means. I need to change. And then actually do what? Change. change. <laughs> you know, a lot of times I know I need to change, but we don't do anything about it. We don't actually change anything. That, that's, uh, that's talk, but no action. To repent means to really change. In other words, you were doing this and you realize, I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop getting drunk. I've got to stop having sex before marriage. I've got to stop lying. I've got to stop whatever it may be that you're involved with. That God's Word says that you're doing it's wrong. I've got to stop doing that. I've got to do my best. I may do uh, something wrong again, but it's not going to be because I'm just casual about it. I don't want to be that way. I want to change. That's what it means to repent. A person is serious about this. This is not something... You know, sometimes uh, 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 children or young people, they'll say, well, well, the whole class is is going to become Christians. Well, the whole class may be at 30 different places. Conversion is an individual thing. This is what you're doing. Many of you in the first two rows here, your parents are Christians. Your parents have raised you to become a Christian. They want you to become a Christian. They hope you'll become a Christian. They're impatient for you to become a Christian. But that's your business, not theirs. Do you hear what I said? That's your business, not theirs. They made their decision, and you're going to have to make your decision. That's your business, not theirs. Now, parents, don't, don't, don't all get ready to stone me here. <laughs> I want your children to become Christians too. But I don't want them to become Christians because you want them to become Christians. They need to become Christians because they're cut to the heart and realize they need to change their life. And then they're baptized. What happens when you're baptized? He said the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes on down in verse 40 with many other words. He warned them. How long did he preach? I don't know. (laughs) With many other words. It wasn't a couple. It was many other words. He pleaded with them. Why would you plead with someone? Please don't do this. Please do this. He pleaded with them. There's an emotion involved. Save yourself. Save yourself. Now, strictly strictly speaking, you can't save yourself. Jesus died on the cross for you, and you can't ever do that. But there is an individual responsibility in conversion that is involving you. I made a decision to become a Christian on November 7th, 1977. Now, for some of you, you're like, holy cow! He's as old as Methuselah, man. 
That was my decision. Why? Why? why I mean, my, were my parents happy about that? Sure they were. Some people's parents are not happy when they become Christians. Some people's parents react very negatively when they become a Christian. What? You've got to be kidding. I sent you to college to get an education and make a lot of money and you become a Christian? Whether your parents are happy about it or not happy about it, it's your business, not theirs, to become a Christian. And he goes on. He says, uh, Savior, and it says those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Gosh, I've got, I've got to get going here. Verse 42. They devoted himself to the apostles, teaching, the fellowship, the, I prayed preachers three hours, uh, and breaking bread and prayer. The point of, of 42 through 47 is how much they changed. Every, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So these people really changed. Their lives uh, were different. Okay, now look over to Acts 8. So Acts 2 was, was three, about 3,000 people got baptized. That's a bunch, isn't it? About 3,000. Wow. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but that's about 3,000. That's a lot of people. This is a mass thing. The apostles were preaching. So it, it, it's a bunch of preachers. It's a bunch of responders. Uh, it, it's a big group in Acts 2. In Acts 8, it's not. In Acts 8, verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered by the preaching of the Word, uh, 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 preached the Word wherever they went. Philip. Philip's one of the, the leaders of the church. He's not one of the apostles, but one of the leaders of the church. He goes down, he begins to preach. He does some great things there. Come on over to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south of the road, the desert road. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home, sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up with him and, and, and to sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and and traveling about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So Acts 2 is is big numbers, big people. Acts 8 is one preacher and one person that he's preaching to. An Ethiopian eunuch. 
in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This guy is a convert to Judaism. He's gone to Jerusalem in a chariot to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you're familiar with your geography, which most people aren't today, that's a long way. Okay? A real long way. Days and days of travel in a chariot to go to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way home and what's he doing? He's taking a rest by a body of water probably to to replenish the, the horses and he's reading the Scriptures. He has a scroll of the book of Isaiah and he's reading it. This guy's a serious religious person, wouldn't you say? He's a serious convert to Judaism. But but God sends uh, uh, Philip and Philip goes up to him and and asks him the most incredible question. Do you understand what you're reading? I want to ask you, did you understand the Bible very well before you became a Christian? Many of us were raised in the church. We, we were going to church growing up. And we had no idea what the Bible meant or said. Hopefully that's not true of the people on the first two rows. That's why I'm asking you questions. Trying to teach you something along the way. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone helps me? And so he started from there. It says, went on from there. You know, sometimes you have to start where a person's at. For some people, they become Christians and they've never read the Bible at all. They've never really gone to church. They were raised in a family, didn't go to church. They didn't go to church. And and so, when they begin to read the Bible, it's the first time they've ever really read the Bible. They have no idea what it means and says. Oftentimes, they're a little easier. Because you don't have to undo the mess that someone else put in their head. You understand what I'm saying? You know, some, some, some people are like concrete. They're all mixed up and set. <laughs> some of you have to think about that a little bit. <laughs> they come along and the eunuch, the next thing we, we know, the eunuch said, there's some water. Why can't I get baptized? How about I get baptized? Somewhere in all that Philip said to him, he said to him something very similar to what Peter said to the people in Acts 2. And something had to do with getting baptized. You you, you get that connection? And Philip says, hey, let's go. Went baptized. Philip takes off. Goes another way. The eunuch goes down into Ethiopia, goes home. Many people theorize, because it's his theory, but many people theorize that he was the original convert from that part of North Africa and all the spreading that happened in North Africa in the New Testament era was from that one person being converted. And that would have some sense in it, in the sense that this guy obviously is a pretty sharp dude. He's in charge of the treasury of a whole country. You know, this is not winking, blinking, or nod, if you know what I'm saying. This is a pretty sharp guy 
uh, as far as worldly ability and talent that that uh, that becomes a, a Christian here. And so you have you have two completely different conversion stories. If the people in Acts two shared, how did you become a Christian? Their story would have a lot of the same themes, but it would have some unique angles to it, wouldn't it? There were about thousands of people got baptized. I mean, we were lined up. It took me 25 minutes even to get to the water. The Ethiopian story would be a totally different kind of a story. You know, one of the greatest things about people and becoming Christians is to say, tell me about becoming a Christian. How did that happen in your life? Yeah. And it's always a, a unique story because it's a story of their life. Yeah. You know, Raphael uh, shares uh, his story oftentimes that uh, a, a guy, was, he was walking down the sidewalk at UCLA and another guy was walking the other way. They passed on the sidewalk. And the guy said, hey, would you be interested in coming to a Bible study? And Raphael decided to go. Wow. How, how about if that, that Christian that day had said, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> He said, well, God would have found a way. Amen. I hope God would have found a way, but I'm glad that dude did that. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody's story is, is different. Everybody's, you know, their roommate became a Christian. That's what happened in my case. I was trapped. I couldn't get away from him. <laughs> I got pretty mad at him a couple of times. I said, listen. We're dividing up the refrigerator. I put a line with masking tape down the middle of the refrigerator. I said, you get your junk out of here. Don't you be eating none of my stuff. Don't want to come to your Bible talk. I'm not interested in going to church. And I don't like that campus minister dude. I don't like him coming over here all the time. Of course, that didn't change. And eventually my heart changed and I became a Christian. But isn't it good that Greg, my roommate, didn't, didn't get his... You know, petty with me as I was with him. Yeah. You know, it, well, you didn't have to agree that enthusiastically. <laughs> that was my wife, for those of you who don't know. Amen. <laughs> yeah. She got me in the deal. She came to church because her boyfriend became a Christian. She was afraid that, that she better go to church to protect him from the Christian women. Everybody's story's a little different. But this theme of a new life. I mean, those people in Acts 2, they were fired up, man. They had come to Jerusalem to go to the Feast of the Pentecost and they were going to go home with a whole different life, a whole different meaning, whole different understanding. The Ethiopian, he's, he's going home with a whole new understanding of what life is going to be. I've got a new life. I've got a new thing that, that has become, that's happened in, in my life. This theme. Peter, from now on, instead of fishing after fish, you're going to fish after men. And so we find as we begin our study here of the book of Acts, God moves to change lives. And like I said, guys, really, 
I didn't, I didn't hit nearly all, all the conversion stories. There's many, many other conversion stories in the book of Acts. I would encourage you, whatever you're doing in your personal Bible study, maybe for the next few weeks here, read through the book of Acts. You'll really enjoy it. It's an exciting study of the church beginning in Acts 2 and all that they went through spreading into what they knew as the world of their time, the Mediterranean world that we would understand today, the Roman Empire kind of an area. But uh, do that, and I think the story, uh, our, our study the next few weeks will be a lot more uh, interesting and uh, hopefully uh, life-changing for you. I love my teenagers, guys. You guys are fantastic. I brag about you everywhere I go. I talk about my first two rows uh, at church, and they're the teenagers. If you didn't get the, the answers right before, you know, uh, that, that's okay. Don't worry about that. Don't be embarrassed. I didn't call anybody out. But uh, hopefully the girls will do better next time. Uh, <laughs> And we'll see how that goes. Guys, you're awesome. Have a great day. You are dismissed.